everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 31 of season two. When we get to that was the week that was, uh, we'll talk about the only game that has been played since the last time we visited and what a remarkable game it was for John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Career high, franchise best, 52 points by John Morant against the San Antonio Spurs. We'll touch on that. Not only in that was the week that was, but also in our PD's points. And then coming up to wrap up the show, we have an extended conversation with the radio voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grandy. It is a wide-ranging conversation. We will talk about the Thursday matchup between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Boston Celtics. We will also touch on his love of professional wrestling and what it's like sports-wise in Boston and what it has meant to the Boston Celtics with all the success of the Bruins and the Patriots and the Red Sox. He's our friend of the program. That's coming up at the end of the show. But right now, we tell you that today's show is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. They've helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. Now, if you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. All right, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Only one game since our last visit. San Antonio Spurs come in and visit. Grizzlies already 2-0 against San Antonio and had won four straight against the Spurs. Last time the Spurs won was opening night of the previous season, December the 23rd. John Morant went for 44 that night, but San Antonio got the win. John Morant has a history of going large against the San Antonio Spurs, and did he go large against them on Monday night? You've all seen it. You've all read about it. You've all heard about it. His highlights had something like 42 million views on social media, which is setting all kinds of records uh, in the NBA history books. 52 points from John Morant. What stands out about this game, Grizzlies hang up 42 on the first quarter, and they win every quarter and go on to win at 118-105. to This despite the fact that San Antonio kept battling back, kept battling back, actually had the ball with a chance for the lead. I think it was 86-85, Grizzlies had the lead. San Antonio had the ball uh, missed, and uh, the Grizzlies come back, and, and they end up putting it away. And some of it was uh, John Morant in the fourth quarter. For the first time in his career, 10-plus points in all four quarters. And in back-to-back games, he sets a regular season career high, 46 in Chicago, 52 against the San Antonio Spurs. And, of course, there's a little bit of an asterisk with that because he actually had 47 in the playoffs against Utah last season. Just a, a remarkable game, remarkable in its efficiency, 52 points on 30 shots. And he missed three free throws. This, this could have been a double nickel. If he was perfect from the free throw line, he could have had a double nickel, which would have been, which would have been pretty cool. Um, four for four from three. He's now seven of eight from three over his last two games. And you know, somebody asked me, like, well, you know, was he just trying to rub it in? And it's like, 
no, the Grizzlies really needed him to score in that fourth quarter because, as I said, San Antonio was closing fast. Lonnie Walker was really hot. DeJounte Murray had himself a a, a pretty good game. Jakob Pertl with a double-double. But Murray got frustrated over a no-call, threw the ball at referee Rodney Mott, hit him in the leg, and that was an automatic ejection. And, And Murray got kicked out of the game with about two minutes left. And then Morant hits the tech. And then the Grizzlies go on from there to win the game, the final 118 to 105. It was a Hallmark Grizzlies win in that they were dominant on the glass, 55 to 37. The Grizzlies have had more double digit rebounding advantages over their opponent than any other team in the NBA this year. This is something that defines the Grizzlies. I mean, you can talk about John Morant all you want, but. The Grizzlies rebounding has defined their success as much as anything this year. Uh, They lead the league in rebounding. They lead the league in rebound percentage. They lead the league in in rebound margin. So no matter which way you want to measure rebounding, the Grizzlies have been the best in the NBA. And their offensive rebounding numbers are, are totally off the charts. And this was actually kind of a light night for them. Only 13 offensive rebounds. But in all fairness, the Grizzlies shot 54% from the floor. There weren't a whole lot of misses for them to track down. And um, Grizzly shot well from three. When they shoot 40% or better from three, which they did in this game, they win. They missed eight free throws, and, and that's the thing that, that really bugs you. Morant missed three. Jaron missed one. Brandon Clark missed a couple. Uh, again, that, that's something it, it just bugs me. I'm, I'm a fundamentalist. Uh, I'm a throwback. I'm old-fashioned, whatever you want to say. Grizzly's missing eight free throws in a game. Against San Antonio, didn't hurt them. Against some other team, it may hurt them. And, and so some way, somehow, they're going to have to be better at the free throw line because the Grizzlies are now starting to get to the free throw line. They have one of the best free throw attempt margins in the NBA. So they're going to need to convert those. But that's enough about that. That was the week that was. It was one game. It was a franchise record, 52 points for John Morant. It was a personal best, 52 points for John Morant. It was one of the most watched highlight packages uh, in recent memory of the NBA. And right now, I think Ja is third in total social media views or impressions or, or however they measure it. It's LeBron James, it's Steph Curry, and then it's Ja Morant. And uh, as a result, Grizzlies going to get some national recognition. Uh, their game against Boston on this Thursday night was not originally going to be on national TV. It was supposed to be Brooklyn and Miami, but uh, TNT – Flex their, uh, flex their muscle, and uh, they now take it as a national exclusive. So uh, Brevin, Fish, and I will be uh, sitting on our couches and watching at home tonight. So that was the week that was. Going to hit on a couple of Petey's points real quickly before we get to our friend of the program, Sean Grandy, because it's a long, long interview. went longer than I think either of us had anticipated, but uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty, pretty entertaining and uh, contains a lot of stuff in addition to uh, Grizzlies Celtics. Uh, Petey's point number one, uh, Colin Cowherd went on his national radio show and basically said, I'm not really buying John Morant. Uh, you know, uh, he's another Derrick Rose. He's going to be one of these guys that is really, really good for a while and then gets injured and then is never the same, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know, you know, Ja, <laughs> well, it's going to provide Ja with some motivation. So I fear for the Celtics right now because Ja... <laughs> Always plays with a chip on his shoulder, and I'm sure that those comments didn't didn't sit very well with him. Look, number one, I know Colin Coward. We worked together in Portland when I was there at the Trailblazers. He had a local talk show there, was a local TV anchor, 
ESPN picked him up to do a national radio show, and then he moved over to Fox. Colin is a really, really smart guy. He is also, by and large, and I think he would agree with this characterization, by and large, he's a bit of a contrarian. He swims against the tide every once in a while, and he's saying, hey, pump the brakes on John Morant. I get what he is saying, that when you have an explosive player like Derrick Rose was, like John Morant is, is there the potential for injury? Uh, we, we saw it with Derrick Rose. Uh, you know, I mean, Rose has had a series of injuries, a major knee injury that certainly derailed a career that should have had him multiple MVPs and multiple all-star bursts and, you know, a Hall of Fame career. Is he going to make the Hall of Fame? Mm, nah, I don't know. So I understand what I understand what Colin is saying. He's he's just say, hey, pump the brakes on this. Just because Josh scored fifty two, don't put him in the Hall of Fame just yet. Which it's interesting because if you watch TNT and you heard Dwayne Wade talk about John Morant about the 75, 75th anniversary team of which Dwayne Wade is a member, Dwayne Wade saying to Jaw. Get up on this stage here in Cleveland because when they bring out the 100-year anniversary team, you're going to be on it. Uh, so, you know, it's just interesting and to see how various people react to the 52-point game. Look, Colin's entitled to his opinion. Like I said, by and large, he's a contrarian. That's how he gets views. That's how he gets people engaged by not going with the tide. But he likes to swim against it and you know, rankle, rankle some people and ruffle some feathers. He, he And he's very, very good at it. So uh, I understand exactly where he's coming from. And frankly, a lot of people have asked me, are you concerned about the way that Ja plays, the number of times that he hits the floor, the number of times that he goes airborne and absorbs contact and ends up in the stanchion or ends up among the photographers? Yes, I am concerned about it. I know that he's got a strong, wiry body, but there is concern. He does play kind of a high-risk, high-impact style of basketball, and you hope that it does not end up in an injury at some point in time. That's the thing that uh, you have to be concerned about. So I, t I totally get that. Secondly, another question that I was asked, look, is this sustainable? Well, now, now 52 points a game is not sustainable, okay? It, it, it's just not. The one thing that concerned me about the San Antonio game, once you get past the individual brilliance of John Morant, is you see a second subpar game from Jaron Jackson Jr. where he's back to fouling now and, and foul trouble. You're looking at Desmond Bain, who's had the worst shooting month of the year so far. Uh, one of five from three. He was, what, one of seven in Chicago. So that's two for the last 12 over the last two games. And here's a guy who's shooting well above 40% and at one point was threatening the NBA record for best three-point percentage on the road. He's regressed a little bit. He's going to come back, but how many times can you win a game when you only have one starter in double figures? I mean, now granted, it was Morant with 52, Bain had eight, and then after that, you you know, and Zaire Williams goes scoreless in this game. So, you know, is it sustainable? No. Does Ja take 30 shots a game? Probably not the number. I always think for your leading score, 20 to 25 shots should be the sweet spot. And he's getting to the free throw line. So if you're looking 20 to 25 field goal attempts for Ja, I think that's the right number. Then This number's inflated a little bit because he was playing so well and because down the stretch, the Grizzlies were trying to get him the 50-piece. So 
Uh, no, he's not going to average 30 shots a game. He's not going to average 52 points a game. So, you know, it, it's not quote unquote sustainable, particularly because you need your other guys to step up. And like I said, last couple games, uh, it, it's really been a struggle for Jaron. And, and hopefully he will break out of that very, very quickly. Uh, PD's point number three, time to focus for this Grizzlies team. Uh, this is a, a very hot Boston team that they will play on Thursday night. Now, Jalen Brown will be out, non-contact leg injury, uh, and so they're going to hold him out. Uh, Jason Tatum is having another great year. Shooting numbers are down. It's a very dangerous Boston team. They've won 12 of their last 14. But you you look ahead, and you've got Orlando and Houston on a back-to-back coming up this weekend. Then you have a New Orleans team that you've beaten but has given you a lot of trouble. And then you've got the New York Knicks, a team that is really struggling. Then you have Oklahoma City. Then you have Indiana. These are the games that you really have to focus. If the Grizzlies want to get to two seed, if they want to chase down Golden State, and now that game at the end of the month really becomes a huge game uh, between these two teams because the Grizzlies actually could get the tiebreaker with a victory over Golden State. But you have to take care of business. And you know Boston's going to be a very, very tough out Thursday night. The other ones, these, these are games that you are going to be favored in, and you need to handle your business. Grizzlies have done a good job playing against teams with winning records. They have, I think, the second-best record against teams currently 500 or better. Only Phoenix has a better record. But you're going to have to beat these sub-500 teams as well. Don't end up in a trap game somewhere where Orlando surprises you. And they have the ability to do that. Orlando's not a horrible basketball team. They, they're young and they're inexperienced, but they've, they've beaten some good teams. And uh, we all remember what happened in Orlando, not this season, but a season ago when, when the Grizzlies kind of messed around with the game and Cole Anthony hits a game winner. This is the time for the Grizzlies to focus. One more PD's point. I'll get to this real quickly because I want to get to the Sean Grandy interview, and that is Stephen Adams is having – I haven't looked at it historically, but it has to be one of the best overall seasons of his career. Highest assist numbers of his career – uh, in the month of February, shot the best percentage he's shot in any month this season, anyway. And when you look at the net rating, and I didn't double-check it after the San Antonio game, but going into the San Antonio game, the best net rating for the Grizzlies, ex- with the exception of Dylan Brooks, who hasn't been on the floor for a long time, the best net rating belongs to Steven Adams. The worst net rating for the Grizzlies is when Steven Adams is off the floor. He is making a tremendous difference with this basketball team. Different game than Jonas Valanciunas. Totally different game. And I know that a lot of people, when the trade was made, why are you making this trade? Why are you making this trade? Well, part of it, I think, was for financial considerations because of contract situations and, and expiring contracts and, and when Jonas' uh, contract was going to expire and the number that the Grizzlies were going to be on the hook for. I know a lot of people criticized it, and... I didn't criticize it, but I was like, okay, this is a totally different guy. It's a totally different guy, but he is having every bit as much of an impact as Jonas Valanciunas did. Doesn't need to score. Big on the offensive glass. Great screen setter. And we're discovering that he's a very good passer as well, and he's having a career year in in assists. And uh, so Steven Adams turns out to be a tremendous pickup for the Memphis Grizzlies, and uh, he's a big reason why the Grizzlies go into this game in Boston 43 and 20 on the season all right that does it for PD's points before we get to our friend of the program we tell you that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook 
Hey, Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is way too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. And we've seen some of those in Memphis, now haven't we? Uh, new customers can bet just $1 on any team, and you'll get $150 in free bets if they win. It is just that simple. Now, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, it's all good. You can still take your shot at a big payday because everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their very first deposit. So do it. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team, and you will get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or over, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Boardware prohibited, minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. All right, let's get to our friend of the program. Sean Grandy has been the radio voice of the Boston Celtics uh, for oh, uh, a long, long time after uh, starting his NBA journey as the television voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He has wide and eclectic interests. Not only has he done play-by-play for the Boston Celtics, he's also been the voice of Bellator MMA and uh, is just a huge, huge pro wrestling fan. And in fact, I think Mick Foley was his best man when he married Dana Jacobson. You'll also refer to his son, Jack who I believe is now 10 years old. And uh, so that's all part of the conversation. We talk about basketball. We talk about the Celtics. We talk about Boston. We talk about pro wrestling. And we even name drop Jerry the King Lawler. All that and more in today's Friend of the Program. Here's Sean Grant. Sean, first of all, Boston has won 12 of 14 going into the Memphis game. So short question, what's gone right so far? An awful lot of things have gone right in the last two months. We, uh How's your team doing, by the way? Is there any any national attention on your team right now? Or very, very any, quiet. You have a, very any, quiet. Any star players that are getting any? <laughs> we didn't even. We started this going viral. Didn't even exist. Now you guys go viral every night, like every every single. Uh, but no residuals. Been, no residuals. I know. That's the thing that really, really bothers me. That, that's a shame. It has been a sort of defensive revolution here. It was a team that we thought would be pretty good defensively at the start of the year, and they were at times. You saw signs of it. And I think our trained eye now, we realize we are so conditioned now to want everything immediately that I think we forgot that you had new players in a new spot with a new coach and a new staff and a new GM and a new everything. And even when the Celtics were losing games early in the year, they were winning by 20 and then losing by five. They still have a terrible record in close games, which is why if if you're a scoring differential fan, the Celtics numbers are off the charts. They've been absurd. They, they're the best team in the NBA in terms of net rating and scoring differential in the last couple of months. But they still, I believe the number is they're 5-13 and 13 or something like that, 4-13, and 5-13 and 13 in games decided by five or fewer, 
which is why that's the one thing they haven't gotten over with. And fans go crazy. Well, they haven't won close games. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. They're beating people by 40. What, you yeah. know, what do you want me to do? Like, they, you can't. I mean, I, I'm surprised TNT is letting us on tomorrow night because they, they literally had to pull the plug a couple of weeks ago. That game we had down in Brooklyn or in, in Philly because it was so bad. Uh, you know, all these blowouts. It has been uh, a team that finally figured out that they play together defensively. And that leads to, hey, it's so fun playing together defensively. What if we share the ball more offensively, too, and get connected on that end of the floor? And when the Celtics are connected offensively and hitting shots, they're, they're really tough to beat. Well, and you talk about defense and rim protection. Robert Williams is having himself a very, very good season. Where has he made the biggest leap from last year to this? Funny you'd ask about that name, and the reason why is because, you know, you and I are both on social media, and there's always that, that fringe that wants to attack anything that might be good, right? any, any flower that might emerge, they need to try to step on it and, and pull it out of the ground. So what I'm preparing for, for the Memphis game, obviously in Boston, you're going to hear the name Desmond Bain because that's considered a miss <laughs> yes. by Danny Age, right? Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain. People couldn't hear the ones that post about him, couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Right. right. They're not watching the Grizzlies on. They just, uh, it took, it, we have Aaron Neesmith. We could have had Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain. And it, it occurred to me that it's finally time. I think we have enough body of work to start talking about the guys that were taken ahead of Robert Williams in the draft in 2018, that Robert Williams was the 27th pick. And this is one of those, you do that draft over again from mm-hmm. three and a half, four years ago. And he might be a top 10 pick at this point, the way he's developing and he can guard the three point line and he can block three pointers and he is mobile enough to get back. And what you have to be now, which is a scrambling, active, switching defense, and he's almost the the model for that. Yeah, and you know, Desmond Bain is is interesting because he remembers everybody who passed on him, and he, they all do. The, they the, all do. The, the The old Irish saying, you know, bury the hatchet but mark the spot. That's that's kind of the way Desmond Bain has has been has been going at it. But you make a big deal to get Derek White from San Antonio. I know San Antonio; they had a a plethora of guards they needed to trim their roster a little bit, but you got Derek White. Uh, How has he assimilated in with Boston? Well, instantly because of his relationship with Ime Adoka, with Will Hardy, which is one of those names that uh, remember you hear those young assistants who are going to be head coaches one day. Will Hardy's a name you're going to hear coming from Greg Popovich and then Ime grabbed him to be his lead assistant. He's got the history there. He's got the history on the national team with Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Tatum and those guys. And he didn't have a choice, as I as I kidded with Ime the next night. <clears throat> you basically you're, you're the kind of father that takes your son to the pool and just throws him in, right? Hey, there you go, yeah. swim, son, mm-hmm. swim, because that's what he did with Derek White. Walked out of the, he got cleared to play because the trade went through 45 minutes before his first game, and not only did he get thrown in midway through the third quarter, he didn't come out again. Played the last 16 minutes. I've never seen that. <laughs> Guy playing his first game with a new team just walks in and plays the rest of it, but. He's a defensive-oriented player. And by the way, he, while he's a perfect fit, don't think for a second the Celtics got him on the discount rack. Brad Stevens paid a very high price. He right. paid first-round pick to get him. So this is not a you know steal this guy nobody knows about. <clears throat> it was a player that specifically fit the rest of the players. Who The, the idea in Boston here three months ago, even on the national shows, but you were watching, Perk, or what, Kendrick Perkins, who watches this game, he watches the Celtics every night. And by the way, if you had given me 
a million dollars <laughs> eight, nine years ago to bet that Kendrick Perkins would be one of the voices of the NBA, I would have lost that money. He didn't say a word the first two years he was here. Yeah, now- he, he, he is one of those guys. Like, yeah, who is the least likely guy to awesome. become a, a pundit in the NBA? And, and he's funny and he's entertaining and he's opinionated and he's fun to watch. Great. And he's anyway, he, but he was one of these people on the bandwagon of this year for the Celtics. There was one question atop all the others. Can you continue to go forward with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together? That's that was what this year is about for the Celtics, because there is no Internet drama. There's no this guy reportedly doesn't like this guy. There's no Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. There's none of that nonsense. They like each other a great deal. But do their games fit together? Right. Can you have these two guys that in theory are in a lot of ways the same? Can they play together? Because for the last year and the first 20, 30 games this year, it was a lot of your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Almost not out of greed or selfishness. They didn't know any other way. And it's led to Marcus Smart becoming a more, even more significant part of this team and having a great point guard year. And nobody ever wants to talk about that. And going back to what you were asking, Derek White is a player that makes those two guys better. And that's what this became about. Brad Stevens going the other way. Forget this idea of trading one of them or whatever. No, we have these two guys. These are our cornerstones. Who are the players in the NBA that are going to fit around those two to get the Celtics back to the you know, elite level? And they've certainly been – no one thought it was going to be this year. But you look at the last two months, the body of work, and Phoenix and Boston have been the best two teams in the league. And that's with as great as Memphis has been and Miami and whatever. It's you don't see numbers, and you know because you look at them. You don't see right. numbers like we have seen, particularly on the road. But the Celtics, this is if you're into again scoring margin, scoring differential. This is the second best road team in Boston Celtics history to this point, and there have been some pretty good players, <laughs> yes, who played for the Celtics, and yet only the 08 team has a better scoring differential on the road than this team has. Wow. Right now. Speaking of which, by the way, you know, we haven't played a game. Celtics haven't played a game in front of fans in Memphis since I think 2018, maybe that 2018, I think early in that 2018, 19 season. It's been a while. Yeah. The way the schedule worked out. It's the last game this year. Right, right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you in April. We talk about Brown and Tatum. And I think many teams would just love to have two guys that have that talent level, regardless of how their games mesh. It's up to the coach to figure it out. Now, you know, Tatum is, is still scoring at a very, very high level, top 10 in points per game. Shooting percentage is down a little bit. Is, is that a function of, of, of the synergy with Brown or, or just the way the offense is run? I mean, he's, he's scoring at the same level, but the efficiency seems to be a little bit off. That's way off. It's, it's funny because he's had an all-star year. He's had a great year, but the shooting numbers aren't a little bit off. They're a lot off. And number one on that list, I would put, remember when Jason Tatum came into the league, people said he couldn't shoot. That he couldn't shoot threes. That was the knock on Tatum. He's not going to be a good three-point shooter. And at one point, he was leading the league in his rookie year in three-point right. shooting. But if you look at the last few years for the Celtics, they've had Kyrie Irving. They've had Al Horford. They've had Gordon Hayward. They've had another guy. Now, what's number one on the scouting report? It's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum now has had a lot of nights, including the Celtics' last game. And you're watching the Celtics. You're going to see him double-team constantly. So the quality of shots he gets – it's the old – the guys that lead the league in three-point shooting now, as people who follow the league know, it's not – Steph Curry doesn't lead the league in three-point shooting anymore. Right. Damian Lillard's always towards the bottom of the league in three-point shooting. There's a reason for this. It's because they don't get quality 
three-point shots. It's the guys that are being left to shoot them that end up shooting a high percentage. Grant Williams has been flirting with the league lead, you know, with PJ Tucker and, you know, guys like that because they're not going to draw the defense. Jason Tatum, his shooting numbers are down and they're, you know, they should be higher, obviously, even with the looks that he gets, but he's going to get the least quality looks of anybody on the team. You talked about the transition with the franchise with Brad Stevens moving to the front office and Ime Udoka coming over uh, off the Greg Popovich coaching tree. I'm always intrigued how young coaches deal with their first job in their first year. Give me a sense of how Ime has has dealt with coaching one of the most storied franchises in all of the NBA and coming from the Greg Popovich coaching tree and and dealing with all the all the moving parts that you talked about earlier. Well, the first thing about him is that when you get it's still it takes a while to get to know him. You know, it's, it's and you know the relationship you have with coaches. It takes a while. And I take a lot of pride in the pregame coaches show and the the conversations that I've had over the years. And it's funny because Ime steps in and it's opening night. And I started talking about this date in 2004 and where Ime was when on April, whatever it was in 2004, that Ime was here and the Celtics had just finished this because it was the last time somebody other than Brad Stevens or Doc Rivers was on the other end of the conversation with me. I mean, that right. is insane. Mm-hmm. The Celtics have had two coaches in 17 and a half years before Ime took over. So one of the first thing you notice is Ime is the guy you want as your pilot when you blow an engine, right? Because it's just as even keel as it gets, even when some crazy things were happening. The Celtics were blowing big leads. They've blown four 19-point leads this year. I don't mean other games, they've blown that leads that big and then won. These are games they lost mm-hmm. when they've led by night. Three 19-point leads that they lost the game in 125 in New York. And he is just he maintains a very much an even keel, and he has not been afraid to – he has not been stubborn, which you can't be in the NBA. It's going to be my way. I have to do it my way. All right, this thing isn't working. Something isn't working. You can't double down on it. You got to say, all right, this isn't working. Let me try this. And there's been a lot of that this year with the way the Celtics have defended, the way he's used Rob Williams. There's been, there's a million of those little things, but I think he's very comfortable with his staff. I think that's a very big point is having a new coach come in and get the guys that he wants that are going to make him feel comfortable. And he brought Ben Sullivan back. You know, it's a lot of the Popovich crew that have been spread around the league in different places. And, I think he really likes the group that he has there. I think that's been a big help. And, you know, I I think he has the personality that you want in the locker room. Uh, It's my job to make it a better one for the pregame show. But it's uh, (laughs) I think that is he's just he's one of those dudes. It's impossible not to like. And the more you get to know his backstory, it's really funny. You asked me about Derek White, because literally today as we're talking, I spent 45 minutes with him doing another podcast because that's all we do right it's just right. a world of podcasting everybody talking nobody listening but it was a chance sort of get get to know Derek White and you realize mm-hmm. that one thing about Ime is he has great affinity and affection for the players like Derek White who took shall we say the scenic route to the NBA didn't take that because he didn't because Ime didn't Ime was a tough scratch and claw struggle for him mm-hmm. to get there unless everybody thinks they should be going right to the league and should be a first round pick Derek White was a Derek White couldn't get to he couldn't get a Division two offer. He got a couple offers to walk on at Division two schools, and four years later, this kid who was at that point a five eleven high school senior, you know, with, he had a very frail little body. Four years later, he's a first round pick. So Ime loves those guys and those stories because he has one. And I I think the players 
what do we always say about coaches in the NBA? Do the players respond to yeah. that guy? And you know what's tougher for Ime here? Guys are generally following co- – guys come in as a first-year head coach. They either have no expectations or they're following someone that had gotten fired that didn't do well or whatever. Uh, Ime's act here to follow is not an easy one. You know, right. Brad Stevens had a highly successful eight-year run as a new coach to the NBA. So he's walking in after that too. So yeah. not an easy situation. Expectations in Boston. Pete, there's a reason everybody hates Boston right now because, <laughs> and it's a difficult place to exist for the Celtics and Bruins and whatever, because ponder this 20, when I came back here 20 years ago from Minnesota, the Celtics went to the conference finals and in 2002 with Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker, they had missed the playoffs for the first time they've been in the playoffs in seven years, they had mm-hmm. missed the playoffs. This city wanted to have a parade for that team. In fact, it was such loserville around here. People forget this. Boston had a parade for a player who won a championship in another city. They had a parade here for Ray Bork when he won the Stanley Cup with Colorado because there was such a thirst, right, for right. winning that they have a parade for Ray Bork who won a Stanley Cup 2,000 miles away in Denver. Now, and that team, my point is that they want to have a parade for the right. Celtics for going to the conference finals. Flash forward to the bubble a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, wherever we're calling that. In 2020, the Celtics had this amazing year after losing you know, Kyrie walks and Horford walks and they lose Terry Rozier and Marcus Morris. And they had this amazing year, third best team in the league. They go to the conference finals and losing game six. And people here were spitting on it. It's conference finals. That's not because you've had 20 years, six Super Bowls, four World Series, an NBA title, a Stanley Cup, other trips to the finals. And if you're under the age of 35 in Boston, you don't know anything else. Right, it's all winning. Therefore, it's a tough tough place to exist that way where the expectations are so out of whack that last year the Celtics go 500 and get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs and people want to jump off the bridge. It's it's a weird world we live in, but yeah, I mean you're, you're right. I mean the the tradition of of winning over the last couple of decades in in Boston has been absolutely absolutely insane. Going to shift gears for for one last thing, Sean. I know that you are a huge pro wrestling fan, uh, and of course Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, you allowed to call it that in Memphis? You can still call it pro wrestling, right? Not sports entertainment. Of course, this is old school here. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying not to tear down the Mid-South Coliseum in the hopes that they may put on a wrestling show there again someday. When I, when I met Jerry Lawler, at a, when I was doing Bellator, we did a show in Memphis and Jerry was our, our guest. And when I met him, one of the things he is proudest of is that that building still exists. Yeah. And that all of those places, it's, it's always been a, it was like a pilgrimage of mine uh, to run there, like when I was in Memphis. But Jerry told me, yeah, not, not necessarily the best neighborhood to be, you know, to be running around as a, as a stranger down there, but all those arenas, the pyramid is now whatever it was sporting goods store, but all those it's, it's arenas. Bad, bad, the world's largest bass pro right. shop. Exactly. They're right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Still, all the arenas uh, still exist, but yeah, I grew up mid South Coliseum was like a legendary, but you know, I grew up in Greenwich village in Manhattan mm-hmm. and right. still mid South Coliseum was like, Whoa, mid South Coliseum. Yeah. Well, actually Jerry was courtside for the San Antonio game and uh, which just triggered, you know, Jerry, you've met Jerry. You got a good uh, Jerry, the King Lawler story. I don't other than, you know, when I, I only got to meet him that very quickly uh, that one night, but obviously he's been, he was a 20 year partner of a good friend of mine, Jim Ross. Right. Uh, was also, you know, a Bellator, uh, Bellator guest of mine. And I, you know, I grew up, I grew up with those guys. The funny thing is you can't use all the, all the Lawlerisms. I mean, it's like that 
the fastest on the draw. We all wish we had that kind of, we could be that quick right. with lines. But every time to this day, it's 20 something years now in the league. And every time I see the dance team, wherever we are, and they walk away, what you want to say on the air, which you can't anymore, is Jerry's line always pops into my head, which is that I hate to see him leave, but I love to watch him go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it was just one after the other, you know, with uh, with Jerry. It's the stuff he, I think, with, with Jerry. And it's funny because I know he wanted to be remembered, and he is. It's one of those things you wrestle with, with the, so to speak, with the generations that Jerry was a great wrestler. Like, look mm-hmm. back at his stuff. It is like it's bulletproof when you watch his stuff now, like the authenticity, which was so much more required during his day. And that it's just, you watch his stuff and it's he was such a high level and he worked with everybody, anyone he'd bring into Memphis, whether they were like super green or elite, you know, elite guys in the world, he could have a program with them and have great matches and tell a great story. But for so many people of a certain age, he's the, you know, they knew him as the broadcaster. Yeah, and you remember it, these things, and what what is it we want? Be at some level is to have some sort of that to resonate, right? That's yeah. what people they come up to you. Say, oh, I've been listening to you for so. I wasn't the first. I didn't really embrace when people would come up and say, "I used to listen to you in high school." I'm like, "Shut <laughs> up! I'm not that old." But eventually, you kind of you, kind of, you kind of lean into it. You want to you want to know about age? I I have to modify or at least think about cultural references that I make, and 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 this is true because in, before we started recording here on the podcast, I was telling you about. Memphis Championship Wrestling, which Dustin Starr, who's one of our in arena hosts, he's, he's been running that. He's been doing a fabulous job bringing in independent wrestlers from all over the country. And they, they brought in Tiger Joe. Okay. And the whole thing was he was coming in and he was playing essentially the Andy Kaufman character in that I don't respect you, pro wrestlers. You know, this is, this is terrible. This is, you know, you're, this is, you know, for lack of a better word, fake. So he's running his mouth. And so I actually was doing commentary uh, with Dustin. He gets in there. He challenges one of the local wrestlers. And, of course, he gets pile-driven and taken out. And I'm telling people about this storyline, and I am telling them, yeah, remember, it's it's just like Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler at the Mid-South Coliseum. 40 years ago, my friend. <laughs> and I, I got more blank stares. Like, who's Andy Kaufman? Okay, let me, uh, you know, like, okay, sit down. This might take a while, you know, but, but just to give you an example that, that, you know, you try to replay it. And actually, that was what Dustin was trying to do. He's trying to replay, okay, you think you're a, you're, a, you're a TV star and you're going to get in the ring with a pro wrestler. It's not going to end well. And uh, trying to explain that to some of the younger crowd, they're like, no idea. No idea. Really, I got a fascinating thing going on with my son, who is 10 now, became, and I never, it wasn't a matter of letting him watch it or not, but he, organically became a monster fan. He is now a crazy WWE fan, mm-hmm. but he's 10. So he's a smart 10 year old. So I think he started to figure out some things, but we don't talk about it. I don't like, if he asked me the question, I'll, you know, one day I'll let him in the door and right, and teach him how it all works. But for now it's like, he, he loves it, you know, on its own. And you'll love, I mean, it's speaking of generations and, fathers and sons, whatever, you'll love this as a wrestling story. So last year I <clears throat> surprised him. We were on a California baseball trip last summer and I told him we might have to alter it a little bit. And we're at the airport in Los Angeles and he thinks we're going to San Diego. And I said, and you know, my wife has a high profile job, so it's feasible. She could get called away or whatever. 
And I said, listen, buddy, we got to make a little change to the trip. I know we're supposed to go to San Diego today. Is that okay? And he was like, you know, a little disappointed. He's like, yeah, it's okay. Where, where are we going? And I look over my shoulder because I positioned him at the gate to Las Vegas <laughs> for SummerSlam. <laughs> so three hours later, run the Las Vegas trip. Jimmy Smith is a good buddy of mine who I did the Bellator fights with, who's now the voice of Monday Night Raw. We're having dinner with him and all, you know, it's mind, <laughs> mind blown kind of thing. But the main event, of course, is Roman Reigns wrestling for the championship. And 40 years earlier, my dad took me to my first show at Madison Square Garden, which was Bob Backlund defending the title against Roman Reigns' dad. Wow. And so it's that, that, that kind of thing, but it really is generational. It's, it's fascinating to watch him. Now, I didn't have the same access like uh, because of Jimmy and uh, other people I know. Like he's, He gets personal videos from his hero, mm-hmm. Drew McIntyre. He's like, hey, Jack, I'm just, you know, I can't wait to see you. And I'm like, okay, I can't, you know. So <laughs> access is a thing where, you know, like flying on the Celtics plane or whatever, like he's lived a life that we always wanted to uh, wanted to have when we were kids, but yeah, it's, Jeff, uh, it's sounds, really good. And, and the point is that you watch it differently. Here's the, I go through, what I was getting mm-hmm. at and thinking about things that are old and new again, you watch it differently when you watch it through the eyes of a kid who's watching it the way you'd watch it and doesn't know kayfabe and doesn't know, even if his mind is starting to figure mm-hmm. it out, you watch it differently. You start seeing it through the eyes of the way it's supposed to be presented. Right, right. It really is like mind blowing that you can get too cool for school mm-hmm. inside references and inside stuff or whatever that, that at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, that's the storytelling that you appreciate. Wow. Great stuff. Great stuff. Great to visit with you. I am sorry that this game is on TNT. You get to do it on radio with Cedric Maxwell. I have to stay home. It's a one game road trip. The one, one, one trip. And I mean, Boston is is one of the fa- everybody's favorite cities. I mean, there isn't anybody in our traveling party that says eh, Boston. Everybody wants to go to Boston. And we are so disappointed that the game's on. Well, we're happy it's on national TV, obviously. Nice to get. Hey, that's uh, your fault because it was supposed to be Miami and Brooklyn. And then your guy had to start dunking over the world and uh, going crazy. So it's your it's Jaws fault. That's it, is, it, it is Jaws fault. I will I will ask him to see if he will make good on my uh, on my game rate for that. But we will see you. What you guys think, by the way, I, for everything that happened the other night, I'm still on the Avery block. I'm still, I, I still can't, that's to me still looks like CGI. I'm still it, putting that at the top of my, yeah. the top of my jaw list. Yeah, it, it, it really and truly is. As his dad said, he's the only guy who can put deodorant stains on the backboard. I mean, that, that was just absolutely, it, it was, it was insane because there's so many times when you see him offensively and you see the ball in his hands, I was like, okay, he's going to do something special. And that you expect, and, and people asked me specifically, and I got more texts and calls from people I had not talked to in years after that game. Like, wasn't that a great game? Like, yeah, it was. Um, they said, okay, what's what's the better what's the better play? Is it is it the dunk over Pirtle or is it the buzzer beater at the end of the first half? So it's the end of the bu- first half buzzer beater. I mean, four tenths yeah. of a second, he jumps amazing up. Pass, he, too. He, yeah, it's an amazing pass. He jumps up, catches, shoots in one motion before he lands. We've seen him dunk on seven footers before. I hate to, it, it's incredible to sound blase about it, but he has done it before. Just ask Aaron Baines. Um, but here's the thing, of- Pete, because you and I, particularly if you, the, the, if you don't know, I don't want to go to 500 level on broadcasting. There's a difference in a radio call. If I'm doing TV game or radio game, the radio call, you're really, you're so into it. You're so in the micro and you're on the ball all the time. You are conditioned. 
you can't really have things happen that you've never seen before because there's a familiarity to the way an NBA game works when you're calling it. And all of a sudden, when a man does something that a man is not supposed to do, an NBA player, you're, that really is, that's what can throw you because you're seeing something that's not supposed to happen. And it, looks, it feels like Ja does that every night. Yeah, pretty much. And in, and in fact, Eric Hasseltine, who does a radio broadcast, he, he said off air to one of his friends, he said, this guy's going to get me fired because I'm about to say holy bleep. Yeah, yeah. Because, because it, it's so spectacular. And, and you're right. Job breaks. I call it breaking the idiom. You know, we, we have kind yeah. of our cadence and kind of the way that we call a game. Yeah. And his, his stuff is so out of the ordinary that it's like, okay, we're, we're constantly challenged. And even on television where you have the picture to tell the story, you want to put a caption on it, but it's becoming harder and harder to put captions on it other than to say, wow. And that's, uh, that's a real challenge. I'll add this, this one, this, just a Boston story to your jaw collection for the fans there. So Max, Cedric Maxwell, my partner, the finals MVP in 81 and Celtics number who's retired, who's been my partner forever. I don't want to say that he, he doesn't over-prepare for games. Let me, let me put it that way. So he's not always in touch with every single thing that's happening on League Pass, again, putting it mildly. So I think he was the only person in the world that wasn't aware of what Ja had done on <laughs> Monday night. So we, in Boston, we heavily rely on the telecast because we have a terrible broadcast position, which a lot of people within the business know. So I do the entire game off TV. Max is keeping an eye, you know, he's watching the NBC Boston broadcast and in promoting the Memphis game. For Thursday night, they obviously run those highlights. So in the middle of me talking or doing something, whatever I was saying or reading a commercial, Max is reacting like, whoa, (laughs) because he saw the highlights from what we we had all seen either in real time or right after, Mm -hmm. you know, but he went 24 hours later when the rest of the world had already seen it. Max had that kind of reaction interrupting a live broadcast because he saw the tape of all the plays that we're just talking about. So that's how spectacular that dude is yeah and we got we got the note today i think there were something like 42 million views on social media and like i said no damn residuals i'm a little bitter i need to renegotiate a contract and reeves didn't have those in vancouver in the early days of the <laughs> no, no franchise. i tweeted this last night that this may not be the highest bar that there is in the league but this is the biggest game in the history of the celtics grizzlies 27 year series it has to be you yeah, know, by definition, considering where these two teams are right now, and that the world is watching Jaw, and that again, it made me look. I went to look back at who played in some of the, you know, the Alton Lester versus Bryant Reeves, Blue Edwards mm-hmm. you know, games from '95. But yeah, has to be. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll not see you on uh, Thursday night. We will see you for the season finale on a Sunday. I don't know, afternoon, evening, whatever. And who knows what? No, no, we won't know. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what? Uh, what might there. be on the line? Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah, we'll we can, we'll pitch it like it's going to be everything, and of course, by the time we get there, it'll be nothing. But, but we'll be there. That's the most important. Yes, yeah, we will. Sean, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Got it, Pete. Always an interesting conversation with Sean Grandy. He is a very intriguing person. A lot of different interests. Uh, very opinionated, and just just a fun guy to talk to. Uh, always a good conversation with him. And. Glad that uh, we were able to make it work. When when I chatted him up, I said, yeah, now you know, 10, 15 minutes. And then here we are half hour later. Uh, but I thought, thought it was a good conversation. And I, I didn't want to cut into it. I didn't want to edit it. I figured you're just going to get the whole conversation. A couple of uh, NBA guys talking about basketball and play-by-play and pro wrestling, among other things. So our thanks to Sean for stopping by. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean Grandy PBP. 
which stands for play-by-play. So that's S-E-A-N-G-R-A-N-D-E-P-B-P. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, that address or at that handle, I guess, is the more appropriate title. So our thanks to Sean, our thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, and also Hoop City Basketball Club for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>